0: Welcome into Scoops with DannyMack.com. And even though the off-season is here, that doesn't mean we stop with the interviews and the game previews of Mizzou and the St. Louis Blues and having interesting guests on our podcast. This podcast includes George Grant. Now, if you are, let's say, a young broadcaster and you want to find out more about the business or you think you've got some ideas about the business listen to this podcast i think you really enjoy it with george grand if you're a baseball fan you'll love it in particular a cardinal fan and he has a great history of what it's like to be uh, behind the mic he was one of the first ever at espn so i think you're really going to enjoy this visit with george grand this is presented by hot shot sports bar and grill ryan kelly schnooks and hair saloon for men we'll start with hot shots Catch all the Missouri games at Hot Shots Sports Bar and Grill this football season. Don't miss a second of the action. Watch the Tigers on Hot Shots dozens of TVs. Enjoy awesome food and drink specials during every game, including Truman Nachos, the M.I.Z. Burger, the Tiger Style Fries, and so much more. Hot Shots, all the games, all the time since 1990. George Grant began his broadcasting career at USC. As a student in 1967, as a matter of fact, he was the news director, uh, sports director of the the student radio station. And he also uh, was a part of their baseball team. He graduated from USC in 1969. He played baseball for four years, was a member of the Trojans team that won the 1968 College World Series. I mentioned that he was a part of the launch of ESPN. George Grant and Lee Leonard. Were the first two people to be seen at ESPN upon its launch. Leonard gave an introduction to viewers concerning uh, what the network was all about. Then he threw it over to George Grant, who was sitting at a desk dubbed ESPN Sports Center. So we're going to talk about the evolution of Sports Center, how it's changed sports, and what it means to sports fans now. He also had something that I think uh, and, and did something that so many broadcasters would love to do. And he was the MC of the baseball hall of fame and he's got some great stories about behind the scenes and what that meant to him uh, doing that every summer in cooperstown this is presented by hair saloon for men hair saloon's home base is st louis it was founded in 1997 i go there take both my boys there you'll get the perfect haircut complimentary beverage relaxing shampoo hot towel and a mint complimentary shoe shine and your haircut that's all for just 22 bucks for an extra $5, get a stress-relieving scalp massage or neck shave. Thank Hair Saloon for Men. You're going to enjoy it. It's my visit with George Grant.
1: Hi, I'm Ryan Kelly
0: with TheHomeLoanExpert.com. There's never been a better time to look at a refinance. Maybe it's time to get rid of the PMI or get some cash out to pay off the credit cards. Five minutes could save you 500 bucks a month.
1: TheHomeLoanExpert.com. Enjoy the podcast.
0: When did you get the broadcasting bug? When did you know that this was something that you wanted to do?
1: Oh, Dan, um, I went to, to USC uh, to play baseball for Rod Dado, and um, um, I was, at that point I wanted to play professional baseball, that's why I went there, and uh, my coach, uh, we used to play an exhibition game at um, Dodger Stadium against the Dodgers every year, and I was interested in broadcasting, I like working for the campus radio station, and I'm taking ground balls at shortstop, and behind home plate at Dodger Stadium is Rod Dado and Vin Scully. Wow. And Dado whistles in for me, Tiger, come on in here. So I come in, and uh, he's behind the batting cage with Vin, and he said, Vin, this young man's interested in broadcasting. And Vin says, well, give me a call. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And uh, he were they were at KFI, the radio station yeah. at that time, and – Uh, He did the games with Jerry Doggett, who was a great guy, and I, the four years that I played at SC, I was a gopher for him. You know, I'd get him coffee, well, he didn't drink coffee, you know, tea or hot water, and uh, clean up the booth and rip the wires and get the UPI and the AP stuff for him, and, uh, you know, I worked for the campus radio station, uh, student newspaper, and um, just one thing led to another. I, I found out that there are a lot of us that were pretty good in high school, and Maybe decent in college, but being a professional baseball player is a different story. So I kind of took a a turn along the road and um, uh, went into broadcasting then. And um, Vin Scully, for me, still is such a close friend and such a mentor, uh, as he has been for so many of us along the road. He still is a friend and still uh, I I cherish our relationship. But uh, we've all been pretty fortunate to have people that mentored us, you, me, all of us. When you're
0: sitting there with a front row seat watching the best that's ever done it, what do you take away from watching Vince
1: Scully day in and day out? Not only is he the best broadcaster that's ever done baseball, he's the best person to be around. Yeah, I mean, he he, he taught about life, not just about broadcasting. Um, I mean, simple things that you saw as you observed him day in and day out, the way he conducted himself as a man, the way he conducted himself as a broadcaster, you know, and, and little simple things that he imparted, you know, you, know, you and I, we'll leave a ballpark. And um, I remember uh, Vin, when I was doing the Hall of Fame ceremonies at Cooperstown, uh, he very seldom took days off for the Dodgers when he got into the Hall of Fame. He did, obviously. And somebody came up and said, oh, Mr. Scully, Mr. Scully, you can't, you can't leave the Dodgers. They lose when you're not there. And, and he turned to me and said, he says, always remember something. And he said, never never take credit for a team when it wins, but always be prepared <laughs> to take credit when they lose. Isn't that true? <laughs> it's so true. It really is true. And I think it's, you know, when you sit back and think about it, We all like to think when we're there, the team's going to win. Yeah. But don't take that credit, but always know when they lose, they're going to blame you. (laughs) Did you have a
0: love of being behind the desk or doing play by play? Because you've done just about everything in this
1: business. What was it for you? I, I love the game. You know, I mean, I, I, Played the game, and we all love the essence of what the game is, the people of the game. You know, I mean, the George Kissels, the Hub Kittles, you know, the, um, the Colin Jarrett, who for so many years produced the radio games right. for the Cardinals, people that, that you were so much a part of, and Jack Buck, and, you know, go down the list, Joe Garagiola, people that you were always close with. Um, and that's true in every, every town you go into, people that, that touched you around the game. Um, And I still cherish, and I tell young broadcasters, you and I both do the same thing. We pass the baton just like baseball players do to young broadcasters. And my, my mom and dad always told me, work hard, have fun, good things will happen. And you try to tell young people that, enjoy the job that you have, whether it's high school sports, college sports, minor league baseball, you and I both run into so many young broadcasters who are major league quality broadcasters. It might be a A, double-A, triple-A for 10, 15, 20 years. That doesn't mean they're not major league broadcasters. It just means they haven't gotten a job to broadcast major league baseball. So um, I think for me, uh, the love is of the game first the camaraderie the game i mean i just left the, the reds uh, coaching room where i'm sitting there with uh, billy hatcher and jim riggleman and danny darwin and teddy power just telling baseball stories about when they were playing and there was the strike about young players coming up that's what the game is that's what it's it's about people it's about life and, and i think back on you know my years you know now 26 years here in cincinnati but my you know you guys come to town the cherished times i had I was with Mike Matheny yesterday talking about Dave Ricketts, the best, the greatest catching instructor I ever saw. And, you know, Mike Stefanski's with us. Mike and I talk about him all the time, being, you know, talking about the little things that you have to do to be successful about baseball, but about life too. Right. And all those guys. George Kissel taught me more about being a success in life than about baseball. Me too. You know, yeah. I think we're all lucky. You know, we just lost Red. And you and I were sharing stories about Red. Everybody that Red touched, you know, he, he may be not with us today at the ballpark, but he's going to be with us for the rest of our lives because he touched all of us. And we all have great stories to tell about him and Mary, about Stan and Lil. Uh, those are the special things that we, we take with us, I think. When you hear
0: ESPN and they say, George, we want you to come to ESPN. We've got
1: this uh, network. We're going to fire this thing up. What was your reaction? Um, you know, it was one of those things where you couldn't say no. I was at CBS at the time doing interviews, not being on the air, I was doing behind the scenes interviews. I was on the, 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 the precipice of moving into the, the, the top line. And the people at CBS were great. And I remember I went into, the guy who was in charge of CBS News and Sports, and I said, you know, Chet Simmons and Scotty Connell left NBC, were starting ESPN, and I had done some things with them, and Scotty said, would you come and join us? And I said, well, you know, how can I say no? A 24-hour sports network, nobody's ever tried it before. If it fails, it's still going to be a great couple of months to, right. to have some fun doing it. Um, so I said yes. I never forget. I went in to see Ed Leonard, and I said, Mr. Leonard, I, you know, I, I, I really um, – I'd like to leave, get out of my contract to go to ESPN. He said, ES what? <laughs> um, he said, "Well, look, son. You go ahead, and when this thing fails, you come back. I'll give you your job back." And isn't that great? <clears throat> it was pretty neat. We had it was a magic carpet ride. I had ten wonderful years there. You know, Bob Lee, Chris Berman, uh, some of the people behind the scenes, Lou Palmer. Um, I just had a, a get together with Rosa Gaddy, who for so many years uh, ran their PR department. We still have stayed very close, and it was a it was a family. It's remained a family, and uh, it it was a wonderful period of time. What do you remember about that first <clears throat> night going on the air? Um, we didn't know whether we were going to get on the air. Is that was, right? Yeah, it was uh, Lee Leonard and I did the first uh, broadcast, and he and,
0: started it right, and then you kind <clears> of <throat> jumped in. So well, you're both there, but. It, it, he, he hey everybody this is ESPN this is what we're doing
1: and I'm with George grand and this is what we have yeah we we had a a taped opening that we both taped um the the you know if you're a fan if you're really a fan ESPN is for you so on and so forth and one day we'd run his one day we'd run mine and that first show we had scheduled a series of interviews um we were scheduled to do Chuck Fairbanks, who was a college coach at the time. We were scheduled to do uh, Bill Flynn, who was the president of the, of the NCAA. Right. Um, and everything was collapsing. We had, you know, the feeds we were getting in. <laughs> so I looked at him. And the guy was producing, Bill Creasy. I heard in my ear. Bill says, uh, I don't know what's going on. Good luck. I'm going out and have a smoke. <laughs> <laughs> he left the truck. And I said, I said. To, to <laughs> That's <laughs> unbelievable. So we're sitting there. And I looked. I looked over at Lee and I said, "Lee, he said we're like ten minutes short." I said, "Are you in favor of a college football playoff?" He says, "Yeah, I am." I said, "Well, I am too." Well, let's flip a coin. Okay, you take the plus, I'll take the minus, and we'll debate it. And, and <laughs> so that's the way the first show went, and that that's was great. the start of a magic carpet ride. Everything was seat of the pants. You know, we had there were no teleprompters, and and while I was in charge of the broadcasters, the announcers, we never had a teleprompter. When I when I left Sports Center. Uh, they started to use teleprompters. You, you you didn't write anything. Everything was ad-libbed, and it was the fun of it. It was Just like we're talking about baseball, it was the joy of working together, so many of us that, that became friends and remain friends today. It's amazing. Did you have any idea that ESPN would turn into what it's turned into today? We didn't know whether we'd last three months, three years, rather than 30 years, but we knew we'd have fun, yeah. and I think we did. Chet Simmons, we'd have a meeting every Monday morning and Chet would say, Look, th- someday we're gonna have the NBA, <clears throat> the NHL, major league baseball, but right now we don't. But we have Sports Center and we'll have something when we get all those things, we'll have something they don't have, which is Sports Center. So they believed in Sports Center and that's why Sports Center survived. Sure. Um when when he left there were there was a move Steve Bornstein came in and cut SportsCenter to 15 minutes. It lasted only one month because they raked them over the coals. But there was that commitment to SportsCenter, which was something nobody else had. And I think that's what we all believed in. We believed SportsCenter was a vehicle for us to have fun, but in the same respect, it was something different that nobody else had. And we thought that would be the flagship of ESPN, and it remains that today. When you reflect on your career, you've worked with the Yankees, the Cardinals, the Reds, three
0: of the most historic franchises in all of sports. What comes to mind? What's the, what's
1: the, the, the tie-in with all three of those that you take away? The people. Yeah. You know, I mean, you look at, and I was blessed to, to do the Hall of Fame for 30 years to MC the ceremonies, and the Hall of Famers from each of those franchises that you became close with, and even more importantly, their families. You know, like you talk about the Cardinals. Uh, going up there and being with, you know, Ozzie Smith and uh, Bob Gibson and, you know, Stan Musial, um, you know, Red Shandings. You could go down the list one after another after another and watch the moments that they have when they're inducted into the Hall of Fame and then see them, you know, and their families. You know, to have dinner on Friday night at Cooperstown with – Stan and Lil and Red and Mary and just watch the four of them interact with each other and talk about life, to to have dinner with Phil Rizzuto and his wife Cora, Whitey Ford and his wife Joan, uh, and Yogi Bear and his wife, I mean, uh, Carmen, and, and to, to listen to the six of them talk about life um, and go down the list um, and their speeches and the, the way their families Interacted and watched. I never, you know, I never forget Ozzie. You know, I, people say which were the best speeches. There are no bad speeches; they're all great. Right. And you know, Ozzie saying, "Good isn't good enough if you can be better. Better isn't good enough if you could be the best." As his youth coach told him that, and he strove. He would always strive to be the best, and that's why he became a Hall of Famer. You know, to to watch. Bob Gibson and Tim McCarver interact at, at Cooperstown you know it it it's been special and and it's true of the Reds I mean there's no greater aggregation of Hall of Famers than the Reds Hall of Famers to watch Bench and Perez and Sparky Anderson you know and, uh, to go through their moments uh, time and time again laughing with each other joking with each other and watch their families interact too um, pretty neat, and I think that's what, what you and I take from this are the people that we interact with, not the you know, not the games. The games are fun, but it's the people and how they react during those games on the field and then off the field too. I, I'm jealous. I, I've yeah. always wanted to emcee the Hall of Fame.
0: I think anybody that's in our position wants to do that, and you did it for 30, or was it 31 years? 30. 30 years. Yeah. <clears throat> Pull the curtain back and give our listeners an idea of what that was like. I mean, you mentioned the the, the visits and the relationships. What else happens in that weekend that – maybe the average fan doesn't know about or can see that you had the chance to do.
1: It's changed a lot. Um, when I started doing it in 1980, and I had been going to the Hall of Fame for five or six years before that, in fact, uh, Bill Guilfoyle, who was the PR director of the Hall of Fame, uh, asked me about 1977 or 78, he said, hey, you know, how can we better honor the Hall of Famers when they come back? And I said, best thing to do is to get you know, a great broadcaster like Jack Buck or Vin Scully or Ernie Harwell to come back and introduce them. So, Bill went out and asked everybody, and none. Back in those days, you never left your broadcast booth. Vin Scully wouldn't leave. No, you know, Joe Garagiola or Harry Carey wouldn't leave. Down the list, Um, Jack Buck wouldn't leave unless you're being inducted yourself. Right. Um, So he said, "Would you do it?" And I said, "You kidding me?" You know, I mean, and when ESPN took over, and we we were the first to broadcast it. I started then. It was a mom and pop operation. Everything was fly by the seat of the pants. You didn't know who was going to come out from behind the curtain next, who was going to be sleeping late, who was going to play tennis and not come to the ceremonies. So it was a family thing. You, you enjoyed the moments of it. You enjoyed the, the camaraderie of the guys together to watch, you know, um, Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio talking, and they would say, you know, who's the toughest pitcher you ever faced? And, you know, all of a sudden, here comes Sandy Koufax, and they point, him! You know, <laughs> so, you know it, it, th- those moments were are precious. And I think as much about the players as, as it was about their families, to get to know their wives, to get to know their kids, to, to hear the stories of the sacrifices that wives and children made so that they could be the stars that they became. Um, I think those are the greatest moments, and and I cherish everyone, every year was different, every speech was different, and and the moments with those people um, will, will certainly, they touch me then and they will touch me forever. Hey
0: St. Louis, Dan McLaughlin here. Big things are happening at Schnooks, especially in October. This month you'll start to see Schnooks stores popping up all over the city. Living in St. Louis, you know Schnooks is committed to the communities they serve. Now there will be 19 new Schnooks stores in neighborhoods all around town. You'll also notice that prices are falling and your points will be piling up with the Schnooks Rewards app. So check out a new store near you. Come say hello. Visit Schnooks.com for the full list of new stores. See you at Schnooks. I'm sure you're asked this all the
1: time what's your favorite moment favorite call uh, what stands out for you when you look back in your career um, you know I always say uh, and, and I, I take this from Vin too uh, that uh, my greatest broadcast is my next broadcast I think I always look at it that way that you hope you hope for, other than Vin Scully there's nobody ever know that that did a perfect baseball broadcast right. you know I think we're, we're all human and um, I look at it every day you try to you prepare the best that you can and for us the preparation, being in the clubhouse, being around the batting cage, that's the joy of what we do. The game takes care of itself. I mean, I, you know, you're know, you doing games with, with Ricky Horton and with Hungo and Jimmy Edmonds. You know, Hungo and I, had, we, we joy, had a joy of doing the games together. I've done games with Chris Welsh for 26 years. It's like doing games with my brother. Um, my goal is to hopefully make the game enjoyable for people sitting at home and to make the guy sitting next to me look as good as you can make him look. Absolutely. Be unselfish in that respect. In fact, um, you know, I want to give people a view that maybe they don't get from someplace else. That means do your homework. It means make relationships so that you can find out something that nobody else knows. Um, and it also means the game takes care of itself. Whatever happens, happens during the game. Um, I remember Dick Young told me a long time ago, uh, and he kind of took me under his wing when I first started. Great writer for the Daily News. He said, right. always try to get something that nobody else has, meaning go into the clubhouse, meaning be around the batting cage. And I grew up in an era when there were no notes in minor league baseball, and there were slim notes in major league baseball. I'd kind of like to go back to that era. Now, right. we get, sometimes you get 10 pages of notes. You're inundated with stuff. Yeah, and, right. and, you know, the whole analytic concept, you know, it's, it's nice to have all that but you could never have done any homework and show up at a ballpark and be able to sound like you know what's going on right you and i though can listen to a game or watch a game and we know if that broadcaster's done his homework we know if they get something that nobody else has and i think that's our goal every day to find something a nugget or two or three or four that nobody else has that's the fun of it and i think that's that's a challenge that we have every night. I don't know if you feel this way. I love the game so much that I I don't,
0: I never ever point out that oh this is a long game or this is dragging on because yep. no one wants to hear it, and anybody that's at the ballpark is enjoying themselves anyway. Sure. But I am concerned about the television audience that's watching at home. Are you concerned at all about where the game is going right now in terms of the length of the games because you're selling it to kids that are watching at yep. home and. They're just not playing, and they're bored watching the game.
1: Yeah, and I think, number one, i like to see more strikes called. I think yeah. the strike zone should be bigger. Um, that's and, my number one thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that because I think if people swing the bats, there's going to be more action. Um, and I understand the the analytic concept that we're into today, and that's fine. I think it's all part of the package. But, hey, I walked into Whitey Herzog's office and uh, Earl Weaver's office. They had little cards that they wrote on. That is similar to the analytics we had today. It was just in their head. Right. It, you know, and Whitey had a computer in his head, so did Earl. To go down the list, you know, Billy Martin. Um, so I don't, I, you know, I, the game is greater than all of us and smarter than all of us, and I think the game will win in the end. I think things will turn back the other way. Um, I was with Ted Simmons, uh, who in my mind is a Hall of Famer. Me too. One of the greatest I catches. push it hard, yes. Uh, me too. Yes. Uh, we were at the winter meetings last year and we're sitting in the lobby, and here's a group of five or six analytics guys in one c- huddle together. Here's a group of old-time scouts, and he says, you know what we need in this game? We need three of those guys from the analytics group to be talking to the scouts and three of the old scouts to be talking to the analytics group. Then we're all better off, right. and I think that's what we need. I think the, the pendulum will swing back the other way. Um, I, I don't know how long it's going to take, but the, the game is smarter than all of us. I think we all realize that. George, do you do you have
0: any regrets? You're such a nice man, and everybody looks at you and says, that is one of the nicest guys yeah. that's ever done this, and that's the truth. Um, do you have any regrets with your career that you should have done this or gone down that path? Is there anything you think about?
1: No, I think Yogi said it best. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. You know, <laughs> you know? I mean, I, we all wanted to play professional baseball, and I realized early I wasn't going to be able to do that. So what was the next best thing? And I think uh, what we do is – is better than work. I remember in 1979 sitting in Bradenton, Florida, at a, on a little stool with Willie Stargell and Bill Madlock, and we're talking before a spring training game, and we're, we're laughing and talking and telling stories. And as it turned out later that year, I mean, the Pirates win the World Series. Willie's the co-MVP with Keith Hernandez right. that year. 79, uh, yep. Yep, and um, Mad, Mad Dog gets up and says, Come on, Pops, we got to go to work. And Willie Stargell takes his big meat-hook hands and puts them on, on Madlock's on chest. He says, don't you ever say that. So yeah, what right. does the umpire say when he starts a game? He says, play ball. He says, we play. So be thankful that we play every day. And I, I'm thankful every day that, uh, that we get to, to not work, but, uh, but play baseball and enjoy it. And I think uh, we're all pretty fortunate to be part of uh, what I think is the greatest game in the world with some of the greatest people in the world. Final question. Uh, Do you like the business?
0: I mean, do you still like it?
1: You know, I don't know. I I still love coming to the ballpark. I still love uh, the interaction with people. Um, It's changed dramatically. Every business has changed. Teaching has changed. Selling insurance has changed. Being a doctor has changed. Broadcasting and baseball have changed too. You know, the bean counters win a lot of wars. You know, cutting back financially, um, the stringent way organizations are run. That's something you have to deal with. But the, the same side of it is if you come to the park, I mean, I walked in today and somebody says, boy, you know, Cardinals beat the Reds again last night. What are we going to do? Hey, we're at the ballpark. Right. Can't be bad. Smile and have fun. You never know. Every time I come to the ballpark, I see something or learn something that I never saw before and I never knew before.
0: Red so, used to say that every day.
1: And I, I believe in that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the the people that we interact with, the the game itself is still the greatest game in the world. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it it's never perfect. Nothing is ever perfect. But you work at it to make it the best that it can be and enjoy it every step of the way. And I... I certainly have no regrets that I've been in baseball all these years, but more importantly, I have no regrets that I've been able to to interact with some of the greatest people that I've ever crossed paths with. Some of them are Hall of Famers. Some of them are clubhouse guys. Some of them are ushers and usherettes. It doesn't make any difference. Uh, We all touch each other, and I think that's the joy that we all share. Thanks so much for doing this. Ah, Dan, it's always uh, always a pleasure to be with you, and it's been great to watch uh, all the great strides in your career and all the success you've had. Continued success, and hopefully we, we can have fun for a long time. You bet. Thank you.